Well, Happy New Year to all of you. Are you happy? Yeah. Uh, you think you'll be happy in the new year? Here, here it comes, whether, you, whether you're happy or not. Uh, the new year uh, is here. Moving into a new year as individuals, as families, as a church family, and all that, uh, all that that holds, potential new roles, new responsibilities. Um, you know, like I mentioned earlier, some of us have physical moves on the horizon uh, that we're starting to prepare for uh, already. Uh, no question that this year, 2018, is going to be a year of movement uh, in any number of ways. Movement that we expect, movement that we don't expect. We have no idea of what is ahead. Uh, Families are going to grow, they're going to shrink, dynamics in the church and the community is all going to change, and these are things that we're not just sitting back and observing, going, isn't that interesting, but that we're a part of, actively a part of this movement. So we're going to begin a new series this morning, uh, first Sunday of the new year, that's going to take us all the way through the Old Testament book of Exodus. Uh, a book that is largely concerned with movement. God's chosen people moving from Egypt into the wilderness, moving through the wilderness. Um, God moving before His people. Uh, so that there, there's physical movement for the people of Israel, but we're also going to see a movement here. We're going to see movement of the heart. Movement towards the Lord in fear and obedience. Movement away from the Lord in disobedience. Um, this, this is back and forth. You know, I like rocking chairs. If you've ever been to my office, you probably see that I you know, move back and forth in my chair. And I, I think that's part of nurture, temperament, hyper-anxiety. It's probably all mixed together. But I'm always moving. Um, and that's what, that's what we're going to see in the hearts of the people, back and forth, um, toward God, away from God. Yet in all this movement, we see the power of God on display. Um, His redeeming, delivering power. Um, and I don't think it's a stretch to say that we're really going to understand the gospel and understand the, the hearts of men, of people, and the heart of God We have to spend time here in Exodus. So much of what the prophets speak about and anticipate, so much of what the psalmist meditates on is found right here in uh, the book of Exodus. Um, So I want us to jump in here uh, for the first seven verses. I'll give some more background as we go along, but we need the text before us. Um, Exodus chapter 1, I'm going to read the first seven verses. These are the names of the sons of Israel who came to Egypt with Jacob, each with his household, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, and Benjamin, Dan, and Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. All the descendants of Jacob were 70 persons. Joseph was already in Egypt. Then Joseph died, and all his brothers and all that generation But the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. The opening uh, opening to this great book of Exodus. Let's let's pray together. 
Lord, we ask Your help now as we approach Your Word, acknowledging that it comes from You, that it carries Your very authority and power, and that You are working Your Word to perform it in this very moment. Lord, this is humbling, sobering for us. Make us teachable, attentive. Holy Spirit, work the truth of Your Word into our hearts that we would move toward You in this day and in this new year. pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you kept track of how many sermons started with an illustration from Star Wars, or had an illustration in them from Star Wars, you'd probably have a pretty long list. It's certainly an overused uh, source for illustrations, but I'm going to use it again in this way because I just saw the latest Star Wars episode um, just this last week. And I'm not going to spoil anything, don't worry. I'm not going to give anything away. In fact, I'm not even going to talk about the movie, except in this way. If you sit down in the theater and either you, you come in and you, you miss all the little yellow words that go up into the galaxy, into nowhere, and you start watching this, this movie and you see you know, Luke Skywalker on the island and you see Ray on the island, you think, well, how, how did they get there? Um, how did we get to this point? It picks up, this episode 8 picks up right where episode 7 left off. Um, and so you, you would have no idea what was going on if you hadn't seen the previous episode, right? Um, so when we start to read Exodus, this is what, what we see happening. Um, if we're not familiar with what has come before in Genesis, then it's going to be a little confusing. Why are the sons of Jacob in Egypt? How did they get to Egypt? Who are the sons of Jacob, anyway? Um, the opening of Exodus all assumes that uh, the audience is familiar with what has come before uh, in Genesis. The story is continued here under uh, Mosaic authorship. And I want to take just a couple of minutes, a couple, three, four, maybe, minutes, um, to, to look at this book that's... It's attributed to Moses, given to the people of Israel as the original audience. Uh, Exodus is a book that we have, but it's also a, an event. Um, it's really the defining event uh, in the Old Testament. It gives us a picture, a, a paradigm for redemption. Um, again, if we're going to understand redemption, past, right now, in the present, and in the future, we need to look carefully at the Exodus. And what is essential to life in relationship with this God who delivers his people, goes before his people. And we're going to find that the pattern of Exodus is actually unrolled in the life of Jesus. Jesus being the true Israelite, the true and better Moses. It's a parallel with our own uh, spiritual journey as well. As pilgrims longing for this promised land. Um, and so most of what we read in Exodus, it, it's credited to Moses. Uh, you remember Moses was raised in a royal family, household of Pharaoh, so he'd been educated. He was able to record what was given to him. Um, and there are a few things that are written about Moses that would have to come from a third party. Um, but then Jesus, when he quotes Exodus in the New Testament, he attributes it to Moses. So maybe we just stop there. <laughs> 
we dare not try and add or improve upon that uh, authorship. Uh, but 40 chapters in Exodus can be divided into three main sections. It's more than just three sermons, I promise. Um, but help us keep, keep us oriented. Chapter 1 here through about the middle of chapter 13 really describes how God gets the people out of Egypt. How he moves them from the bonds of slavery. And then middle of chapter 13 through about the end of chapter 18 is the wandering uh, in the wilderness. Then chapter 19 to the end of, of the book is, is the, the people encamped there at Mount Sinai and the instruction the Lord gives uh, through Moses. Um, and a lot of uh, familiar stories to us. Uh, some familiar, some not as familiar that we'll find in these three sections. And we know from archaeological study, from historical study, that what we find in Exodus is, is plausible with that time period, plausible for what we know about the ancient Near East and about the people of Israel. But outside of the Bible that you have sitting in your lap right now, there is no other record of what we read about in Exodus. And to some people that is a real problem. Usually for those who are looking for problems, it's a real problem. Um, but it shouldn't surprise us very much. Um, I think of, of older civilizations, of Egypt in particular. The Egyptians did not waste the paper of the time, did not waste their papyri, describing how they got squashed by the God of the Israelites. Um, there are no monuments set up for us to uncover how you know all these the vast army of Egypt was lost in pursuit of a slave people that got away um, most of these ancient civilizations were very very proud peoples in what they documented they were going to paint it in a very favorable light um, in their own history I don't think that's changed a whole lot in how we document our history um, and we're going to talk more about the history of, of Exodus as time goes on. But the fact that Exodus does not, Exodus doesn't do this. It doesn't paint this rosy picture of the Israelites. Wow, look at these people. Look how great they were. Look at how much they... No, it, it paints a, a people that are rebellious and complaining, um, idol worshiping. That very fact alone was so abnormal, it actually puts a validity to what we find in Exodus. You can't make this stuff up. Um, so that's something for us to keep in mind. It's just it's too weird, too strange <laughs> um, as we get into it. Um, but the opening verses here that we've read, uh, the first seven verses, really give us reason to heed, to pay attention, and reason to hope. Uh, I want to talk about each of those. You need to be mindful of who these people are that we've read about. Um, what's happening in Egypt? What's in store for them from from the outset here, from the very beginning. Uh, we, we know that we're picking up where Genesis left off. Um, it's assumed that the reader knows that Israel and Jacob are the same person. Did you catch that in verse 1? Um, if you go back to Genesis 32, we find that God changes Jacob's name to Israel after his persistent striving and wrestling with this physical manifestation of the Lord. But we've heard all these names before in verses uh, 2 through 4. This is Jacob's line. This is his heritage. Um, and the fact that, that we read all of these names 
together should clue us in that this is the start of something big. Something new is going to happen here. Something's going to happen that's going to affect all of Jacob's descendants. Uh, in fact, there are several books in the Old Testament that open with a list of names. This is very important for national identity, learning about the nation's heritage uh, at the outset. And then Joseph stands out because that's how Genesis leaves off. God worked uniquely through Joseph to bring the rest of his family to Egypt. There's a famine in the land, and so Jacob, Israel, his, his son, he sends his sons to Egypt for uh, provisions. And by this time, in God's incomprehensible providence, Joseph is, is there. In fact, he's not only there, he's the second highest on the food chain without being Pharaoh. Is that starting to come back? The end of Genesis? We remember what brought the people to this point in the story. So as we go into a new year, we need to be on guard against spiritual amnesia. We need to remember the story of God's redeeming work. The story that we're a part of. I mean, we weren't physically there. We didn't exist at the time. But this story has shaped who we are, who we are now as the people of God. Um, how we relate to each other uh, in the church of Jesus Christ. You know, I, I think of the gifts that we like to give our family members. Maybe you gave some of these gifts, received them over the Christmas season. Um, think of the ones given to grandpas and grandmas, especially if they live farther away. Uh, it could be a mug or a calendar, but it's got pictures of the last year, things you've done as a family. And uh, our photo book, popular one, um, but it lets them, especially if they live farther away, it lets them see their family and, and they have an understanding of, of what the family's been doing, even when they're not physically present. So it actually gives them memory. It fills, fills in the story for them. Um, this is what's happening in the opening verses of Exodus, reminded of how this family came to Egypt and who they really are. So 12 sons, about 70 people, that's not a very large family. Some of you probably come from larger families than this when you put all the extendeds together. Um, this family is pretty messed up. Um, there's deception in, in their history, betrayal, immorality. Um, that family photo album for Jacob is not a pretty picture at all. There's nothing to be proud of there. They are ordinary folks with ordinary, maybe even extraordinary problems um, living in a, in a strange place. They're not in the land of promise. Have you ever felt like a stranger in a strange land? A strange place. Short trip to Ethiopia a couple of years ago. Uh, I and a few of the other guys wanted to go take a walk down to the lake that was nearby. Supposedly there were hippos in this lake. Never saw any. But uh, the streets are just full of people uh, who are trying to make a living, or actually living there uh, right off the main road. And so you know, we went out with the four of us and walking down, and we, we stood out like a sore thumb. And so all the children are running up to us, and they... They want to grab your hand, and so we're walking down the road with a child in each hand because they want to touch that strange white skin. 
and they're, they, they're coming up wanting us to, wanting to take our pictures with the cameras that we had and, uh, and so forth. And um, I, I wasn't fearful, but I don't think I have ever felt like such a stranger in a strange place. Um, you know, there's something about strangers in a strange place. They can be easily overlooked or easily noticed. We were easily noticed walking down the street in Ethiopia. Um, too easily noticed for, uh, for most of our com- comfort levels uh, here. Uh, we're going to find out shortly that the people of Israel, they can't be overlooked. They are easily noticed in the land. Well, we get to verse 6, and it's, it's a somewhat sobering verse. Short, stark verse. Then Joseph died and all his brothers, and all that generation. They're gone. I mean, all that, that, all that ink spilled in Genesis, describing this family, describing the, the blessings of Jacob to each of these uh, descendants, uh, the whole lot is gone. One verse. But the story goes on. You know, ne- next episode, Right? Here's the new episode with some new characters. And what's the most important thing for us as we move into this new episode? It comes in verse 7. Okay, we need to heed the story, take an honest assessment of where we're at, and see the reason for hope in the days, weeks, and years ahead. The descendants of Jacob are not a large family. They're not a powerful family. They're not a super smart family or special family. They really have nothing going for them except their God. God has chosen them, not the other way around. God has come alongside them. God has made promises to them. And He's seeing these promises fulfilled through them. Later in Deuteronomy 26, uh, the people of Israel are given instruction on their way and what they should say when they get into the land, how they're going to respond when they enter the land. Here's what it says. A wandering Aramean was my father, and he went down into Egypt and sojourned there, few in number. And there he became a nation, great, mighty, and populous. That's what's happening here in verse 7. We move from, from death in verse 6 to increase in life in verse 7. All by the hand of God. These people have a reason to hope, not in themselves, but because of the God they belong to. So a couple of points on this. It's so easy for us well, to think far too highly of ourselves, for one. When we should be thinking far more highly of God. Okay, with our pride, our greed, our, our selfishness, Self-protection, I mean, that door needs to crack open. I mean, if I could put any space between my fingers that much before we swing it open and say, hey, look at me, We're all, I'm all that in a bag of chips. This is, this is our hearts, this is our minds. And so if God wants to come alongside and sort of sanction what we're up to in the new year, you know, that's cool. Because we're obviously worth His time. But here's a newsflash for the day. Okay, newsflash for the new year. 
The only thing you have going for you is God. The only thing. You take every breath because of Him. The only thing that gives your life and mine meaning and purpose is that you belong to Him. Created for His glory. I mean, doesn't that put everything else into perspective? As we submit in faith to the Lord Jesus, we can say with confidence that the only thing we have going for us is Christ. This is where the Apostle Paul is. He's right here. I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. By faith, the working of the Holy Spirit, we are bound to Christ. Our lives are hidden with Christ. And if that's all we have going for us, then we have more than we could possibly imagine or ask for. So let that be our boast in this new year. Our only boast is in Christ, in His sufficiency in life and in death. And that's the next thing coming out of this text. We will face death and life in this new year. The two will coincide. They're going to be held in tension. R.C. Sproul, wonderful teacher, is now absent in body but present with the Lord. Uh, he shared one of, the, one of the most memorable days of his life when his son was born. He picked up his mother and brought her to the hospital to see her grandson. They enjoyed some time there, and as they were traveling home, he was taking her back to uh, the house. And she said, this has been the best day of my life. And they got back to the house and they decided to get a few hours of sleep before going back to the hospital. And R.C. got up and went to the room and his mother had died. So he saw the birth of his son and the death of his mother in the same day. It absolutely shook him to the core, as it would any of us. He agonized over how insane death was. There could be such, such goodness, such beauty in life. That's the tension. Death does not have the final word. But until all tears are wiped away, we're going to live in that tension where life and death coincide. And it's a tension for us that should only increase our dependence, our trust in the Lord, who is unchanging in life and in death. So God, God's character is unchanging. His promises are sure. Uh, we see this as a reason for hope. This is in verse 7. I hope that sounded familiar to you in verse 7. Uh, these words should ring in our ears of Genesis chapter 1. God's creative mandate to humanity, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. The Lord promises uh, Abram in Genesis 12, I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great. Later to Isaac in Genesis 26, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and will give to your offspring all these lands. And to Jacob, behold, I will make you fruitful and multiply you, and I will make of you a company of peoples, and I will give this land to your offspring after you for an everlasting possession. God is fulfilling His promise 
to Abraham. He would bless his seed. They would inherit the land of Canaan. And God is, is also the one who told them to go to Egypt. And Jacob has a, a vision in Genesis 46 that the Lord uh, would prosper them and then bring them back to the land. I want to read just a, a few of those verses. Then he said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for there I will make you into a great nation. I myself will go down with you to Egypt, and I will also bring you up again. And Joseph's hand shall close your eyes. So the people have prospered in Egypt. They can't be ignored now. So how is God going to bring them back to the land that he promised? Um, this is going somewhere. There is, there's going to be some more movement. There has to be. Here's where we see our first parallel with the life of Jesus. Uh, Jesus, the true and obedient Israelite, he goes into Egypt with his parents in Matthew chapter 2. The seed of Abraham, the eternal king on the throne of David, is protected and then returns to the land. The beloved Son of God is moved to where he needs to be. The people of Israel are right where they need to be at this time. God in His His good providence, His incomprehensible providence, moves them to Egypt and is faithful to His promise to prosper them there. Uh, Here's a clear picture of of humanity. We we see the way of humans through this growing family called the Israelites. Um, Their movement in, in body, their movement in their heart, is just a mirror for us as we go through Exodus. Uh, What's true for them uh, is true for us. So I, I recognize Trinity Fellowship isn't physically moving in this upcoming year. Uh, most of you do not have moving plans. Some of you do. Uh, we're here living and serving in this place, but there's movement. Our movement through this, this Old Testament book is taking us somewhere. Our movement into this new year is taking us somewhere. We're moving in the direction of holiness. Not just treading water. Though sometimes it feels like that. And we're looking to move closer to Jesus. I mean, do you have have that sense? Do you have a sense of of purpose going into the new year? To learn in the school of Christ. Christ. You know, how, how does that translate into goals for you? Do you want to work on your prayer life in the new year? Do you want to commit more, uh, more of the Bible to memory, maybe? Maybe recommit to a community group or, or meeting with just a few others where you can share openly, honestly, risk relationship for the, for the benefits that we can't even comprehend. Please don't think that because you're not physically moving from this place that you're not moving in one direction or another in this new year. The church exists largely uh, for this purpose, to deepen our love for Jesus, moving in a healthy direction uh, together. Uh, you know, there's a few times in the Bible where the authors mention Moses in reference uh, to the Exodus. Hebrews 3 is one example. But most of the time, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Referring to the events in Exodus are to magnify the power 
and majesty and holiness of God. Um, Exodus is an encounter with the living God. So as we move with Israel through these chapters along our own spiritual journey, we need to consider the character of God and our response uh, to Him. The Lord delivers His people, not for themselves, not because they are worthy, but for His glory. It's His story. He might dwell with His people and they would be worshipped the way that they're intended to worship Him, the way we're intended to worship Him. That's the goal. That's the purpose of all of this movement for Israel and for any who would join the true Israel of God throughout the ages. So it's going to be an exciting journey. Can't wait to share it with you. Um, Let's go to the table together. Lord, we are grateful that you have moved towards us, that we are moving towards you by the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, may we heed the story well. Your faithfulness, your covenant promises to your people. We've seen them in the past. May they encourage us and remind us of your promises that will be fulfilled for the future. That you're bringing us closer to yourself. That you're bringing us to that heavenly country in which we dwell in Christ even now. Lord, guide us as we take this journey together through this exodus. Be glorified in it, we pray. In Christ's name, amen.